Hello everyone and welcome back to Sightless Fun, a podcast about board game accessibility for people who are blind and visually impaired. I am your host, Ertai Shashko, and joining me today are Laura and Dale Rowe from United Kingdom. Welcome to the show, guys. It's great to have you here. Hello. Hi, thanks yeah. for having us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for accepting. Really looking forward to this chat. Yeah, me too. Today, with Laura and Dale, we're going to focus on sighted assistance, which in my opinion, at least in my experience, is one of the most important things when playing board games with someone who is blind. Before we get to our topic, Laura, why don't we start with you? Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm Laura, I'm a singer, um, and I, I'm the mother of an 18-month-old daughter. Um, I really enjoy music, uh, performing and listening to it. And um, I'm very much into playing board games. Um, and I'm also totally blind um, and have been since I was three years old. And is there anywhere we can listen to your music? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess um, if people are interested, they can look up a, a band called The Shining Levels. Um, that's probably the, the, the most simple way of... of yeah finding it <laughs> yeah if someone wants to check it out we'll post a link in the show notes fantastic much oh, appreciated fantastic. yeah yeah <laughs> how about you dale i i i have something to say and that i i actually work in the board game industry myself um my day job is a is a game developer working for mythic games who are known for i guess joan of arc time of legends um oh, awesome and i other than board games, which is uh, quite an obvious passion of mine, I, I'm also interested in like football and cinema, world cinema. Like most Brits. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, football. Yeah. <laughs> What's your like usual day at work like? Yeah. Um, what do you focus on? So in the minute we have a game which we're working on called Solomon Kane, hmm. which was a, a game that ran on Kickstarter last year. And my, my day job is working within a team to... To, to develop that product and to to play test it, to polish it, to th- think of new fun things. I have a, a qualification in, in digital game theory and design, and I used to heavily be involved and interested in digital games. Um, but w- w- with Laura, we found that we couldn't play them together. And yeah. uh, and with that, we I naturally converged to, to pick up analog games, you know, tabletop games. Right, and and that's where my interest flourished, with, with with wanting to play with Laura. Yeah, so that means that you introduced Laura yes. to yes. board games, am <laughs> I correct? Yeah, that's absolutely. Right. Do, uh, do you remember the first game, Laura, that Dale introduced you to? Yeah, oh, um, do you? <laughs> well, I don't know if it was the very very first one, but the, certainly one of the first ones was Machu Coro. Uh, um, oh yeah, and um, it. Oh, it really was quite special. We we played it like many nights, many consecutive nights on my living room floor, um, and <laughs> it, it we really enjoyed it. And um, I don't think we had a dining table at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, from there, we it just kind of spiraled. And not only did Dale introduce me to board games, he also introduced um, a lot of my friends, my sighted friends, um, to board games too. Um, so you know, it kind of spread, spread quite fast. Like wildfire. It did. (laughs) Yes. 
How often do you think you play? Do you play very regularly? And is it just like the both of you or do you usually play with other friends? Yeah, um, it, it generally is just the two of us. However, we, we do play with friends, but um, we go in kind of um, phases. So, mm, for yeah. instance, we've played probably four games th- within the last week. Mm-hmm. However, sometimes we'll have a week where we don't play a game. Some weeks we play every night. So, you know, I'd say we play what would be called fairly regularly. Um, um, and maybe once a month we'll play a game with friends. Um, yeah, and, and away from Laura, I, I go to local meetups. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, th- that's our general play play sessions. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's very good. And do you currently have a, a favorite board game? I remember when I first spoke to you mm-hmm. several months ago, mm-hmm. you said that your current board game, favorite board game of 2018 at least, is Grand Austria Hotel. Ah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's very close between that and the Lorenzo Il Magnifico. I don't know if you've heard of that one as well. Yeah, I have. Um, I haven't played it, but I have. Yeah, I, I guess now I would say that my favourite game of 2018 was Lorenzo. Um, a close second would be Grand Austria Hotel. Of course, they're by the same designer, uh, Simone Luciani. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm just a big fan. It creates really tight decisions. And it's it's really good in that it's fully accessible, I would say, to Laura. It, it has a lot of open information and all I have to do is explain what's on the table and Laura can make very tactical decisions based on that. Right. Um, and it's just, it's a game I would never turn down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and actually, I, I would say it gets a lot of criticism for its lack of theme, I think. But, but for me, Lorenzo is, has quite good theme. Um, it's it's very subtle, of course, and you have to do a bit of legwork and imagination. But I, I think it paints a really nice picture of the Renaissance Italy. Mm, is that the same? Like, is Laura is your favorite game the same game, or do you prefer something else? Um, I love both of those games, particularly um, Grand Austria Hotel. That if you'd asked me last week, that <laughs> would have probably been my favorite game. <laughs> However, you've caught us mid Saint Petersburg. Uh, season we've we've played four games of st petersburg recently um and it's 2-2 at the moment and we're we need a deciding match yeah. um and i absolutely love that game it's reminded me of of how wonderful i think that is um i really like games where you have to be really efficient with yes with money and laura's really good at that as well um so so yes i think i'm going to nominate st petersburg for mm. my favorite game of the moment mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I usually like ask people about their current favorite game mm-hmm. because I also like don't have any particular all-time favorite yeah. so yeah. far. Uh, for a while it was Secret Hitler, but after 80 games, I really starting to hate <laughs> that game <laughs> because I can't get my friends to play anything else. It's like, <laughs> yeah. come on, let's try code names yeah, after yeah. five games of Secret Hitler. No, yeah. no, let's do just one more. <laughs> I mean, come on, my head is going to explode. Yeah, that, that's exactly what we were like with Machi Koro. That's all anything our other friends would yeah, play. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> with it being kind of the, the game that ignited people's interest in board games it's definitely was our go-to game for a long long time and um, so we've been subtly trying to steer our friends away from machi Koro onto other things but, but yeah just out of interest what is your what is your current favorite game would you say um current favorite game well i don't know well 
a solo game, probably mm-hmm. the only one because I just started, mm-hmm. is Deep Space D6. I ah. got the print and play version. Ah, yeah. And I have to use my phone a lot yeah. uh, to use OCR because solo gaming is very hard to do. Uh, I can imagine that's when you're blind. Yeah. Uh, because uh, so we are going to talk about sighted assistance, mm-hmm. and if you remove sighted assistance, it becomes a bit tough. But uh, interestingly enough, Deep Space D6 is actually quite accessible if you put a little bit of effort. Like if I have the cards written in an HTML list mm-hmm. with headings, so I can e- easily like navigate using my phone. And what I do is uh, use Seeing AI on the iPhone, which has ah, real-time yes. OCR. Yeah. And I, it can also pick up some of the card text, but sometimes it misses some words, so it's a bit gibberish. But card titles can be picked up very easily. So then that's all I need. I just pick up the card title through the OCR reader and then just go through my list to check what the card actually is. And I'm guessing like after several plays, I'll just remember and won't require to do too much of scrolling on my phone. But yeah, that's one of the solo games uh, that I'm currently uh, playing and enjoying. Uh, As for... uh, Fantastic. With other people, I guess Dice Forge is. Ah, oh, we okay. like Dice Forge. Uh, I really enjoy Dice Forge. Yeah, the public information is great. I really like the the player boards because you can practically ah, yes. count your resources oh, yourself. They're beautiful. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. You can be very independent. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I wish there was a way to make the dice accessible to so one could fill them by touch. But at least it's not too many dice, it's just two and the person sitting next to you can just uh, read the resources out too and then you can just move your uh, counters on yeah. your own player yeah. board. <laughs> I, I think you also have that game. Yeah, we're, we're big fans of that. Yeah, for very much the same reasons as well. Well, certainly from my perspective, I think the player board is really wonderful and it I, it's such a novelty for me to be able to track my own score. Yeah. Um, and it, I really like that there's a enhanced level of independence that can be had Absolutely. when you play that. Um, uh, uh, and it's also just a really great game. Yeah, I, I really love, that's what I like about deluxe editions in Kickstarters is that in many times they, they have um, double layered or like indented player boards. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish that was just the standard. And Dice Forge does that. It's just standard. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's... Uh, we also talked with one uh, of my previous interviews. I talked to a blind gamer from Canada, Ryan. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I remember when I asked him, like, what's the... What's What are some things that you would like publishers to do more? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I believe that was the first thing he he said, like indented player yeah. boards. Yeah. If you have a tracker that needs to go somewhere, make a place for it mm-hmm. where it will stick and won't move. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm interested about your learning and well, teaching process. Like mm-hmm. Laura, do you teach yourself board games or do you have Dale assist you? Like who is doing the teaching or are you both doing it at the same time? Yeah, it's invariably Dale who does the teaching. I've never, I've never taught myself a board game. Um, I think just primarily because of 
his immense passion and knowledge for the the genre, he tends to be the one that is selecting the games and and it's just in his nature to want to learn it like you would Dale would read the rule books kind of <laughs> just for fun yeah. um before he starts to learn a game so it's just kind of the natural thing for him to teach me how I to I might play even it. have a dry run on my own before. yeah and that's just something that Dale <laughs> enjoys to do regardless of whether he's playing with a blind or sighted player so I kind of am very lucky in that I have somebody who just really loves learning the rules of a game so it's very natural for us that he would be the teacher and I would, yeah, it's not in my personality type to to sit and and read rules. So I think yeah. I think it works really well for us. Um, that dynamic. Yeah, and Dale, how do you compare teaching board games to someone who is sighted versus someone who is blind? Yeah, um, it, it's quite similar, uh, and I think the primary difference is is that when I teach to to, to sighted people, I when I'm explaining, I point to the board and mm-hmm. and I don't need to manipulate things as much. I don't need to show. But with Laura, I I might pick up a resource and show it to her. Um, right. uh, I might I might read a card to give an example. And it it's just it's it's I I go into more depth maybe, but mm-hmm. it, otherwise it's very very similar. Right. In episode six, when I talked to. Richard and he's fo- he was focusing on teaching board games to the elderly. And yeah, that's, yeah. one of the most important things that he, uh, he said was to, when explaining a component, make sure you give them the component yeah. so they can touch it. Yeah. Even though they can, if they can see it, so they can touch it and uh, just to get that tactile yeah. feedback. That, that, that's and good. Yes. Yeah. yeah that, that's, that's, that's quite important. So what are the most common accessibility challenges that you encounter when you're playing? I think what comes immediately to mind is um, secret information, um, especially, uh, you know, there's only the the two of us in the house and um, dealing with any sort of cards that I have to keep a secret Mm -hmm. is something that needs a little bit of thinking um, yeah, for, for example, in um, Sagrada, um, mm-hmm. we, you know that we, each player has a secret colour that they get more points from. And the way in which we deal with that in terms of secret information is, is we, because the, the amount of cards is like only five or six, we, we stack them artificially in alphabetical order from their colour. And okay. I, I hand the deck to Laura and she will choose the colour she wants to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I'll know I'll know what order they're in alphabetically, so I can think, oh, I'll be green and and take the green card. I'll know that that is the second card in the pile, and Dale won't know what colour I am, so... It, it, yeah, mm. it, it, and then I will shuffle That's the deck. That's clever. I will shuffle the deck and take one, and then, therefore, I do not know which one Laura's chosen, and Laura obviously doesn't know which one I have. Yeah, so it's, it works the same. Um, uh, just rather than it being randomly generated to me, I have a, an element of choice in yeah. there. Um, and similarly in suburbia, um, the secret objective tiles. Ah, yeah. Um, so the way we do that is um, very similar. Dale will read out um, a list of secret objectives and he will give me the tiles in that order and I will choose which one I like the sound of. 
um, right. in a similar way, know, knowing what order they're in. Um, and then Dale would take the pile back, reshuffle them and, and just take his own objective. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a quick and easy way just to, just, just to get to the game quickly and yeah. have, have both have secret information. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's actually very clever. I mean, I'm guessing you haven't modified, uh, at least, well, those two games that you mentioned. We haven't actually modified any, in any kind of, um, permanent way we have used facetime where i've video called my brother to (laughs) to ask him to uh, read what a card says um i've also tried scanning cards um, Uh, as i have a a, i think it's called a sara scanner um Mm. so you scan a printed document and it reads it out and however it can't it it didn't really effectively pick up the text the symbols yeah and as dale says a lot of um games have uh, symbols or images to explain um what you're doing so yeah so we try to think of ways that don't involve technology to to get around them Mm. Yeah, well, that, that's actually quite interesting. Uh, I honestly expected you to say yes and share some of the games that you have modified. We, we, but wow, that's that's awesome. We, we've always thought about um, brailing up some Sushi Go or Keyforge decks, but we, we've never got around to it and we've never experienced it. No, we've kind of just uh, improv and it's always worked out okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, d- I don't know. I, d- I d- it has crossed our mind, but we've never got around to it, and it always just seems to work for us. So mm-hmm. we we've kind of just got these strange ways of, go, of going about playing things, and and that's just our norm now, and uh, works for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So well, you mostly rely on sighted assistance. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I mean, if I was playing another blind or visually impaired player, we wouldn't have a chance. We would just be guesswork. Um, So yeah, I guess I'm in a privileged position in that I have someone who's willing and able at all times to to play these games with. So um, yeah, so that's definitely impacted on our uh, decision to not modify games. Yeah. Well, from my experience, I've noticed that um, when playing with someone who is blind, well, both the person that is blind and the other person that's assisting require a lot of patience. Uh, mm. I found out like uh, as my sight deteriorated that my patience had to increase because uh, mm. sometimes it can be very frustrating because you used to do something much faster yeah. and now it's much slower. Yeah. But it's also for the person that's assisting and uh, like my brother is helping quite a lot. And for instance, he knows like what I need. So what I was wondering is Dale, like, have you noticed uh, any improvements in efficiency uh, the more you played with Laura? Um, That's a good question. I would say, yes, I, I guess I'm more in tune to the information that Laura wants. Um. Just as a quick example, um, Laura's at times not really interested in the flavor text, um, mm-hmm. so it, it, that's something to skip over. Or um, in it's better in 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 playing the game of open information just to give the the key mechanical information. Yeah. And so Laura is, I, I guess, it's just a natural way that I've learned to to play with Laura, and patience is a massive part of it for sure. Yeah. 
And Laura, have you ever played uh, with some other people when Dale was not around? It's a very rare thing, but yes, I have a few times. Uh, have you noticed like any difficulties or um, something similar? I wouldn't say difficulties because the, the people I I would play with are friends that I've been friends with for many years. So again, are quite in tune with right I, I, and used to explaining things to me in other areas of our of, of life. Um, however, just playing with people who aren't perhaps as familiar with that particular game, they might not know which aspects of the game to focus on when giving the information. Um, mm-hmm. So um, if I ask for a recap of what's out in the market, mm-hmm. I'm thinking Machi Koro because that's probably what we've played. <laughs> I, I, I say, so what's available in the market? They might, as Dale says, give me literally every bit of information on all of the cards, uh, yeah. which then by the time they've got to the end, I've forgotten the first yes. few. Yeah. Whereas Dale would just say, um, there's I, a... I, I know what you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. You just do a summary of the, yeah. the the mechanical information, how much it costs, what it does, um, and for example, what colour it is, kind of thing. And when Laura plays Machi Kara, she never buys the red buildings. So <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I would know to give the information last. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I'm, she, she hates stealing in I'm that really game. anti-stealing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you mentioned to me uh, again when we first talked mm-hmm. that you played Power Grid. Ah yes. And I remember also asking Ryan about it in a private conversation whether mm-hmm. he has ever played that game, mm-hmm. and he said that that game requires well, basically has some special aspect with yeah. connecting the I believe it's cities. Yeah. And he said that he has played the card game variant, yeah. which basically removes the board. And yeah. that, that one is quite accessible because it's open information. Yeah. But even if though Power Grid has open information, that it can be troublesome. How do you deal with uh, that in Power Grid? Yeah, that is a really interesting question because one of the genres of games that we find don't work with Laura when we play two players is games with um, maps. Ha- however... Power Grid does work for us, and I'll explain why. Um, so, it, for example, I'm a big fan of the Voyages of Marco Polo, which uses a map as well. Yeah. However, for me, that map is non-linear. Um, a, a sighted player will have to look at the map and think of the best route through mm-hmm. and to plan the resources accordingly. However, with Power Grid, even though the map is similarly, you can kind of go anywhere you want. For me, because it's quite a tight economical game, for me, the map becomes, uh, when I tell Laura that, look, you, you can go to this city or you can go to, you can go to th- this city over there. The, the key information that I need to tell her is just the connection costs. And if one costs seven and another costs 13, it, the information becomes, uh, quite easy for Laura because if you, if she's sitting there with nine money, then the decision is, becomes obvious. But of course, if she has enough money to go to both, then um, I would then tell Laura that, look, if you go to the space that costs more money now, when you get there, the next connection will cost zero or two. And then so the total cost would be 15. However, mm. if if she chose the first option, which is cheaper now, it would then become more expensive later. And essentially what I want to say is that with Power Grid's map, the way the decision tree sprouts is that it, it can be given to Laura and she can then use that information um, quite succinctly. 
it's not an overload of information. It's just based on which is cheaper at this moment and which can be cheaper in the future. Yeah, and it's actually one of our um, one of our favourite games, and um, it did come as a bit of a surprise because, as Dale says, a lot of the games that revolve around maps and kind of travelling around a board have yeah, area proved, control. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Have have proved like really tricky in the past, but it does seem quite condensed. It just, as Dale explained. Um, to kind of hone in on the area you're currently in and ha- and your resources you've got, so yeah. we found it quite manageable, and we've we've played it quite a lot, and it is kind of one of our favourites as well. So mm. um, we really like it. it. And Laura's really good at it as well. Uh, um, it, in the, th- the thing about Paragrid, because um, I know it's a bit of a surprise if you say that's accessible for for a blind player, mm-hmm. is that even a sighted player w- would never make a rash decision to build on one side of the map and then pay a massive connection fee to get to the other. The, 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 their decision space is limited to quite a small circle of one or two, maybe three or four options. And I, I believe that that information can be given effectively to a, a blind player. And then that blind player can make a, a, a tactical choice based on the the, the one right. to four options. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. Mm. Uh, I wonder if there are other blunt players out there yeah. that play this game. Yeah, absolutely. So my next question is, have you ever picked up a game and that you found that you couldn't play afterwards? Or do you spend uh, a lot of time like researching before you pull the trigger? Yeah, so even though I do quite a lot of research, there has been a couple where I thought it would be more accessible. And I guess as previously mentioned, the Voyages of Marco Polo was one of them. And I guess that that was after playing Power Grid, we, I might have thought that a map game could be usable, but it turned out it, it wasn't. Because the, the way the map works there is a bit a bit less linear. Um, a player really does have to look at the board and think strategically. Um, but a bit more interestingly, another genre of games that didn't work as well as I would have thought is dexterity games. I don't know if you've experienced that yourself. Yeah, um, dexterity games, I only have Jenga. I see. Yeah. And uh, I haven't played it since I lost the majority of yeah. my sight. Yeah. I probably should give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we I bought a couple of dexterity games thinking, oh yeah, it's it's very tactile. Um, all the pieces are um, on the table to be, to be manipulated. Um, but however, when we tried to play a, a dexterity game, for example, Dungeon Fighter, where a game where you have to throw dice onto a little target, it it, it just it just became apparent that it was just not accessible at all (laughs) yeah absolutely and also um so that one was obviously quite inaccessible because it had the element of you were trying to hit a target even though you could feel the target even though i could like feel the target for reference it was still just the visual aspect was just too much to for me to have a an, an equal shot at that um but then also dexterity games that rely on, like you referenced Jenga, um, kind of building. They, again, I thought they would be really accessible, as Dale said, really tactile. Um, however, once your the thing that you're building gets too wobbly, you need a bit of visual input. Yes, that's to, true. You'll knock right. the thing over. Otherwise, if you're kind of feeling, feeling for it. Um, True. you'll end up wobbling your pieces and knocking them over. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of a, a bit of a shock realisation that um, games that require a lot of 
pieces and manipulating of those pieces can be tricky because they're not steady enough to investigate with your hands and you'll knock them over. Mm-hmm. How about any stories? Have you been to any conventions? Uh, I, I'm Unless I'm mistaken, you were the uh, couple that met Raudo at... Essen, I believe, who suggested Castles of Burgundy? <gasps> yeah, we we did meet Rado. It was at um, the UK Games Expo in, in Birmingham. Yeah. Um, and uh, just in, in June last year. And um, yeah, we approached him and we sort of asked him <laughs> what game he would uh, recommend for a, a totally blind player. Um playing with a sighted player and he was he took the question really he he really did he didn't have an answer straight off he had to really think about it and he kind of stood for about 10 minutes with his phone looking through his 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 uh, lists yeah and uh really thinking about it and he recommended castles of burgundy which we haven't played yet we haven't yet played no we should sorry rado to be honest i'm waiting for the recently announced um reprint of castles of burgundy yeah the deluxe edition Do we have any interesting stories from a convention? Um, so we've attended two. Uh, we went to Aircon, which was in Harrogate um, in the UK, um, in the north of the UK. And then we went to uh, the UK Games Expo in Birmingham um, in England uh, and um, really enjoyed both. Um, had a fantastic time. As for stories, um, when we attended Aircon... We we were playing Mystic Veil, vale, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, that what we're playing? Yeah. Um, and I guess this is just a story about people's um, surprise at encountering a, a blind board game player. Uh, yeah, so Dale and I were playing uh, Mystic Veil vale, um, in like a public hall with other games going on around us. Mm-hmm. And this guy came up to us and sort of said, um, sorry to interrupt you, um, but I needed to chat to you. I've just been watching you. And he was... He was Oh, I think the word is moved by watching us play <laughs> yeah. Mystic, Va- Mystic Vale. He was really, really quite moved by it. And he was saying, oh, this is wonderful. I just never would have thought a blind uh, player could, a, a, a blind person could play this game. And mm-hmm. yeah, and he chatted to us for ages and he was very interested. Um, and I guess, yeah, it, it, it's a similar thing happened at uh, UK Games Expo in Birmingham um, in that we were, at a stall, um, a, a woman was exhibiting her own game, which was a, a 3D game. Ah, yes. Um, the name escapes me. Do you remember that? I, I don't know the name. No. Um, so it's a 3D game. So we were naturally quite interested in this. So I went to have a look at it. And the woman, um, I think it was evident that the woman was quite, uh, it didn't it assumed that I wasn't there to play games as a blind person. Um, she, she was very, she kind of offered me, to look at the dice she had and was like, oh, do you want to shake this dice? It'll make a really nice sound. Um, <laughs> you'll probably enjoy listening to the sound. And just her behavior around me suggested that she in no way thought that I was at the UK Games Expo as a player of a game mm-hmm. and that I must have right. just been there with Dale. Um, so I think, yeah, so those two stories are just kind of really to illustrate how I think it is kind of, considered to be an inaccessible genre even by people who are heavily immersed within within mm, board games yeah then did you get to see uh, any other blind players there did you meet anyone else 
I don't think we've ever met a blind or visually impaired. No, no we haven't. Claire, we haven't. No. Oh no. No. I don't oh no. Know because th- this is what I asked Nancy. She yeah. was recently at OrcaCon in the US, mm-hmm. and she says, "No, I didn't." I mean, and. I'm like, no, we shouldn't say that you don't meet blind players. Mm-hmm. We need yeah. to say that there are more of us mm-hmm. so that publishers worry a bit exactly, more about yeah. accessibility. Yeah. Well, the absolutely. Well, this guy who was at Aircon who was moved by us playing Mystic Veil, he said he was de- uh, designing a game and that he, seeing us play, made him think about whether his game would be accessible to a blind player. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if you are a blind player or visually impaired person maybe we should make more of an effort to get to to get in the way of of designers and kind of show that we exist but because you're right it it needs to we need to be thought of a little bit more absolutely and about the positive aspects of being a blind gamer as well yeah i I think it's a you know it's a it, it it isn't the case that it's a totally inaccessible thing and that Blind people wouldn't enjoy it. It's it's definitely something that lots of blind people. For, for me, it's always um, surprising that how many games on on our shelf are ex- fully accessible. Yeah, with a couple of adaptations and sighted assistance, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, and I mean in general, like for people who are blind or people that lose their sight later in life, uh, they like tend to uh, get more socially isolated. And like board games is something that can uh, have them ask people to come over or go yeah. at other people's houses and pay, yeah, Im- improve yeah. social interaction, basically. Mm-hmm. Completely. And, and I think um, for me, I think um, I, I really look forward to when our daughter is older. Um, so our daughter is sighted and she will inevitably be exposed to For and sure. forced to play a lot of <laughs> oh, board yes. games. And I think that her experience, not only of just playing board games, but playing with a, a blind player will really be beneficial to her in kind of exploring um, ways of explaining to me and sharing information and communication, I, communication skills. skills. And I, I, I do think that playing with a blind person yeah. is, is really you know, um, mutually beneficial, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it teaches patience. It does, it does. Um, yeah, and brings something different out of the game and it maybe um, enables you to view the game in a way that you wouldn't have, mm-hmm. have done previously if you didn't have that blind person at the table. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it is, a, you know, a mutually enjoyable and beneficial thing mm-hmm. to be doing. Yeah, yeah, I agree, yeah. I agree. And... when publishers pay attention to that it's like i think it's great when games have um shaped resources instead of just basic wooden cubes because not only does it make it more accessible but it makes the game visually and aesthetically pleasing as well so it's (laughs) win-win yeah absolutely it's win-win for the publishers and the games yeah definitely do you have any advice for couples like like yourselves, basically, where one person in the couple is blind and the other is sighted. I, I guess communication is the the key, and what works for us might not work for another couple. Um, but so it's it's figuring out, um, you know, how much talking you want the sighted person to to do, because you know some some people might just want the bare minimum of information communicated. Other others might want a lot more. 
Others might want, you know, the hand taken around the, the board to have, you know, a visualization of what's in front right. of them. Others might not. So I, I guess it's just kind of literally feeling your way together to to working out what what works for you. And and I guess my main point would be that it can work and it does work and it's a really wonderful hobby. And um and it, it just takes a little bit of of patience and time and creativity to to find your way. What would you say, Dale? Yeah, my only advice would just be to not to be put off by like other people saying that oh, such such and such game is not accessible. I think there's many games accessible out there. So we're slowly coming to the end of the episode, and I would like to ask you if some of our listeners want to get in touch with you. Is there anywhere? They can find you either on social media or maybe they can reach you with email. Yeah, we we, we have an email, and um, funnily enough, we a while ago last year we we started our own small podcast. Um, oh, and we haven't published it yet. Um, it's it's just, about to be released. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we have we have several recordings to be published, um, and so we, we have an email related to that if they want to get in contact. And the email is cardboardjukebox at gmail.com. Just to give an idea what it is, it's it's quite a, a small podcast and that each episode will only be 10 to 15 minutes. And the first five minutes is just us talking about a game that we've just just played. We, we start recording as soon as we finish the game. Um, we, we, we don't plan our thoughts, we just start recording. And the second half of the, of the show is I hand over to Laura because her speciality is music. And we talk about, we, we try to pick three songs that would work as a playlist with the board game. Awesome. So before we go, do you have any final thoughts, anything you would like to add? Just thank you very much for um, talking to us. And we really enjoyed it and encourage anybody, yeah. anybody who's blind or sighted or visually impaired to get in touch if they just want to say hello or share any experiences or give us any recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone ha- if anyone has any tips of how to how to make Voyager's Marco Polo work for, for a blind player, then I'm all ears <laughs> because I love the game and Laura, Laura doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if anyone has any advice of how to make that game more accessible with sighted assistance, that would be fantastic. Yeah, and just... Um, we were just always keen to hear about other absolutely other people who love board games. So just say hello if you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll absolutely ask uh, some of our friends I met, uh, blind friends that play board games online, whether some of them have played Wedges of Marco Polo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and get back to maybe maybe we will find someone. Yeah, Dale, Laura, thank you very much for joining the show. I really enjoyed this conversation. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions for me, you can email me at sightlessfun at outlook.com. You can also find me on Twitter at sightlessfun, or you can check out our website at www.sightless.fun. Thank you very much for listening. And remember, you can still have fun while being sightless. This episode was hosted by Ertan Shashko and edited by Alpai Shashko. 
We'd also like to extend our special thanks to Fighting Windmills for allowing us to use their music in our podcast. You can find them at fightingwindmillsmk.bandcamp.com.